Now, let me get this going. Over the years, I've had people ask me, maybe you have too, what it is that's so special about going to church every Sunday. And in those times, I would mention some things, you know, that I enjoyed about going to church or what it meant to me, why it would be worth spending my time. But as we would get into the subject a little deeper, I'd find out the reason they were asking is not to find out what church can do or what church is all about. They just couldn't understand somebody getting up on Sunday morning when they didn't have to. <laughs> it was just sleep, you know. It was just being out late Saturday night and not wanting to get up on Sunday morning. So what is it about church to, that motivates you to get out of bed on a day you could sleep until noon. Well, maybe not if you're married. We could name a number of things, couldn't we, that makes church worth getting up on Sunday morning? You know, from worship to fellowship to friendships to just, you know, socializing even. But in the New Testament book of Titus, the Apostle Paul, in the first four verses, just the greeting, his greeting in the book, tells his faithful helper Titus some things about the church that makes the church even more, more valuable, more special, deeper meaning than anything we might mention to somebody as they're asking us. Often when we tell somebody what's good about church, we think of the things that you know, that we see and experience week to week, like the friendships, the fellowships, and, and everything else, the, the uh, prayer time, teaching, that sort of thing, getting into the Word. But in just this brief opening of this short book to Titus from the Apostle Paul, we get this picture of the church that sets it apart from anything else in its own category, Anything else on earth that can't, can't even be um, equal to it. And you know how sometimes also there's this problem in the church of people saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, or yeah, I walked up the aisle, but then they really don't live like they believe in Jesus? Well, these first four verses of the letter to Titus, they don't seem to allow that kind of Christianity or that kind of church dedication. Now Titus was a first century Christian who became a very valuable helper to Paul, the Apostle Paul. And Paul sent him to young churches to help them get on their feet, to get them moving forward in the right direction. And he would communicate to Titus who would communicate to the group of churches where he was sent. And in one place he was on the island of Crete. And so Paul talks to him and tells him these things that he needs to do and tell these people. And in these first four verses of this letter to Titus, Paul tells Titus what the church of Jesus Christ is really all about. And there are some very good, very good and valuable information in this introduction 
that can take us deeper into the plan of God for the church. So I want to start with verse 1 of the New Testament letter of Titus, Paul's letter to Titus. And we'll look at this first verse. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So Paul is writing to Titus about these people's new Christian faith and where it's supposed to lead them. What this faith is supposed to do for them in their relationship with God. And he's writing to, in order that, they can, that Titus can take them and they can take themselves deeper into their faith. But I want you to notice how Paul identifies himself as he writes to this church. Or writes to Titus. He identifies himself as a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now that word servant is actually the word slave. And sometimes when they did uh, these different versions of the Bible, they were hesitant to use the word slave, but that is the word doulos in the Greek. And the word apostle means one who has been sent. So it's somebody that has a commission from somebody else. Somebody who's been sent to do something specific. So the, the way that the great apostle who, you know, is one of the key figures in all of Christianity, the greatest apostle, the way that he identifies himself is as a slave of God and a messenger for Christ. Those words don't seem real glorifying, do they? And I think, Paul, don't you know that's not the way you build up your self-esteem? By calling yourself a slave and a messenger boy? Sounds pretty lowly, really. And aren't we told today that the way we build up our self-esteem is by taking great pride in ourselves? No matter what we've done, no matter how bad we've been, we take pride in ourselves. And if anybody ever cuts us down, we're supposed to slay them with a comeback. And aren't we told today that we are to build up, we, we nurture our self-esteem by building ourselves up, by enhancing our image. By focusing on ourselves, by never letting anybody say anything bad about us, by punching back. You know, you see these articles online and you just read the, the headline. I go, go through and kind of read headlines. And there, so many of them are about somebody who's been criticized and then it says, and so-and-so slayed them with this retort. Sometimes the retort is something like, oh yeah? <laughs> but that's just the attitude out there. You don't let anybody put you down. You don't let anybody take anything away from you. 
and whatever you do, you're great. Now the problem with that is that when we work so hard on our image and we become obsessed with our own self-esteem, it actually feeds our insecurities. You know, we, we end up becoming very self-focused and overly concerned of what everybody else thinks of us. And then we give them the power to control us because we're trying to please them or trying to show them. And we even imprison ourselves in a mindset of always trying to please the other person or worrying about what other people think of us. But the Apostle Paul, he placed his identity into being a slave of God and being one that was delivering the message of Christ. And if you read the Apostles' New Testament letters and the book of Acts, you will see that Paul had people criticizing him, mocking him, lying about him, hating him, and even plotting his death. Even to the point that at one time, over 40 men vowed that they wouldn't eat until they killed the Apostle Paul. And that plan got thwarted because Paul's nephew heard the plan being made and told uh, an official about it. Now, I don't know what happened with these 40 men, if they really held to their vow. I don't think so. But they didn't kill him at that time. So, nothing could stop Paul from delivering his message, carrying out his mission. Because his identity was wrapped up in being God's slave, God's servant, and Christ's faithful messenger. So, you see, if, it, if whatever it was included hardship, part of the calling. If it involved rejection, mockery, so be it. He has a job to do. And even when it involved threats of death, his identity stayed as a slave of God and a messenger of Christ. Now, as we look at further in, in verse 1, we see why Paul is sending this letter to Titus for the sake of the churches. He says, To further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. He's writing to Titus so that the faith of these people that Titus is over, <clears throat> that their faith can be increased. That their faith can be enhanced. And that they can have the knowledge of the truth that leads to godly living or living that honors God. You almost get the idea that how a Christian lives is very important to the Christian faith. Now Paul calls these Christians God's elect. The elect refers to all who have come to God in repentance of our sins, have turned to Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, have accepted his death on the cross to pay for our sins. And now we become him. We become one with Christ. We have a spiritual union with him. And that's the elect. Now why does God call them the elect, call us the elect? Well, the term elect has an idea of being chosen 
some out of many. You know, Israel's elect, well, God's elect nation was the nation of Israel. And out of all the nations on the earth, he chose that one nation, and they became his people. And today, God's elect are all who come to God in repentance and turn to his son for forgiveness and accept his death on the cross to pay for our sins. And we become the elect of God by grace through faith. And see, we stand in a sea of people who don't believe in God or aren't turning to Christ or aren't willing to make that, that commitment. But we are the elect when we trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And what that means is that we as the church of Jesus Christ are special people to God. We have found true salvation through faith in Christ, and we are God's elect. So if you want an identity that leads to confidence and certainty and true security, and not an identity that leaves you feeling insecure, always afraid what others are thinking of you, always trying to live up to others' approval and judgment, then fully embrace your identity as one of God's special elect. There's where you're free from other people's control. God's special elect by grace through faith, by turning to Christ, as one whose sins have been forgiven. If we think about it, that's exciting. Our sins have been forgiven. Everybody tries to think of how they can get into heaven. Have I done enough good? Have I stayed away from enough bad? Am I not as bad as this guy down the street? But none of those things forgive sins. And only Christ forgives sins. And turning to him in repentance. And as one who's been forgiven and elect of God, embrace your identity as a servant of God and a follower of Christ. And leave that nerve-wracking world of insecurity always worried about what others think. Always searching for self-enhancement and approval from others. And enter that world of inner peace as one of God's elect by grace through faith. So many things in the world are so backwards. You know, you have all these celebrities, and every time they change their shirt or wear a new outfit, it gets, you know, advertised all through the nation and the world. And now they're wearing a new hairdo. And now they're dating somebody else. And that's supposed to be the top of the world. But now they have to answer to everybody. And anytime they do something wrong or if they change their view, they get dumped. That's not the world we want to live in, is it? It's the exact opposite. If we're a slave of Christ, a slave of God, a follower of Christ, then we're free from all that. And we can have the peace of Christ that passes understanding while others are chasing their tails. Well, he says here, to further the faith of God's elect, the reading he's writing this, and 
their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. To further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Now, how many of you believe that when someone turns to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and they're turning to Christ for the first time, accepting his forgiveness, how many of you believe that their lives instantly get all cleaned up? All their thoughts and motives automatically become pure. They never again make selfish decisions. They become this flawless husband or flawless wife or flawless son or daughter or neighbor or co-worker. Doesn't happen like that, does it? And that's why Paul is saying this to the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. When someone comes to Christ and becomes a child of God, there is a true difference, isn't there? We're not saying there isn't any difference. I mean, there's spiritually, there's all the difference in the world. And there is an inner cleansing. When you come to Christ and you accept his death on the cross to pay for your sins, there's that inner cleansing that gives you eternal life. God's spirit enters in. And oftentimes there's this whole new awareness of sin and righteousness where beforehand, you know, you couldn't weigh it out the right way. And then oftentimes there's this change of heart and a love for God that wasn't there before because our eyes have been opened for the first time when we fully understand the gospel. But we know that when someone turns to Christ for forgiveness, that's just the beginning of a whole new life. I mean... You know, depending upon their background, their situation, how old they are. They were walking one way, and then all of a sudden now, they're, they're turning the completely opposite way. For some people, it's the beginning of a life that they, ha they are completely unfamiliar with. And it could be they just come out of a life of selfishness or immorality or deceitfulness. And these early first century Christians were filled with what we call baby Christians who probably knew nothing about Christian character. So Paul is telling Titus that they need to learn the truth that, that leads to godliness, that leads to living that pleases God, living that honors God. Godliness is <clears throat> a mindset where we respect God greatly, and He is the reason that we're living and doing the things we do. And that's godliness, a life that honors God because we have such reverence for God. And so people, when they come to Christ, they need to sit under Christian teaching they need to become familiar with God's Word. They need to have their minds constantly influenced by the Word of God. They need to have good models of Christian living and Christian character that they see in other people and that can rub off on them as they get to know people that are Christians. 
They need to experience life-enhancing Christian fellowship. They need to have continuous knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And one thing that I saw so much in my life was when I went into, and I'd gone to church all of my life, but when I became a Christian and then went to a church that preached the Bible, wow, what difference. Amazing. Amazing difference, people coming up, welcoming you, people concerned about you, people inviting you over, just, just a total difference. And I saw what it was like for people to follow the Lord. And then as I talked to people and they told me about their walk with the Lord, it was like, this is a whole different life. And you know, we live in a culture, or in a time in our culture, where we are moving further and further away from belief in God and belief in the Bible. And you know that we were founded on the principles of Scripture as a nation. And that carried us through to greatness for a long time. But now, as that's getting less and less, we're moving further and further away from a belief in God, even in the existence of God to some degree. And even those who claim to know God, many of them aren't really following Him. And you see, when you, when you kind of let go of the idea of God, like the Bible presents God, it removes a basis for determining right from wrong. And once you get rid of God, then you can just kind of explain anything away. Well, it helps people. Well, you know, all these arguments they have for doing things that before we would say were illegal or we would all agree they were wrong. And now they're becoming agreeable that they're right. Our society used to have some very solid moral boundaries that most everyone agreed on. And many of those are being erased today. And this can move us in our society toward a moral freefall. And it can end up being with those who hold the power rule. And our nation was founded on those who rule are there to protect the rights of the people. And now we're moving toward those who rule get to make the rules. But you know, what we want to do in this situation as the elect of God is to to continue to gain and act upon the knowledge that leads to godliness and leads to lives pleasing to God. We want to live our lives according to the scriptures and the truths that lead to godly living. And we can only do that if we really value the scriptures in our life and cling to the truths that lead to godly living. And why do we need to be tenacious about that? Why can't we just say, yeah, I believe in Jesus and go on living like before? Well, look at verses 2 and 3. Well, let's, finish, let's get back here. It says, To further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. 
and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me, that's Paul, by the command of God our Savior. Paul is saying that God had this whole salvation plan planned out before time began, before time as we know it began. He had this whole thing planned out. And sometimes we see church and we see it as just something that happens. But no, you know, God had everything planned out and he had all the details worked out as far as how people were going to become part of the church through the death of his son. So, Paul is saying here that We do this, we go for godly living in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And the thing is, what he's saying here, what James said when we went through the book of James, is that we're not supposed to stand still in our Christian faith. We are supposed to keep moving forward in our Christian faith. We are supposed to keep learning more about our Christian faith, learning more about God, The more we learn about God, the better we can become. And that's the problem if we just hear a verse here and there. It doesn't tell us all that much about God. You know, today, memes are so big, right? And I I hear memes that I think are pretty good. But they only tell you a little bit, don't they? They don't tell you a whole lot about God even though there are good memes about God. Even a meme like, Jesus is the reason for the season. Good meme. (laughs) If that's a meme, I guess it is. But it, it, it doesn't say a whole lot, does it? It just says one little thing. And we're not supposed to stand still in our faith. We're not supposed to just stay on the grade school level of knowing the Bible. We're supposed to be enhancing our faith enriching our faith, increasing our faith, walking deeper into our faith, seeking the truth that leads us to godly living. And in this practice of continually growing in our faith, he says, is God's pathway to eternal life. And if we lose interest or get sidetracked in living for God, we run into all kinds of trouble, don't we? You know about Solomon. He inherited a kingdom that was so rich and powerful, and he made it richer and more powerful, and he took control of the neighboring nations, and he just let himself walk away from God, marrying 700 foreign wives, 300 concubines, and God told him not to marry foreign wives. And then he lost the kingdom. God waited until he was gone, but he's the one who lost the kingdom. And so we want to keep moving forward. You know, people say, and I think it's right, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. So you have to keep enriching your faith. And we're just talking about being in the Word of God mainly. 
and fellowshipping and, and helping others. And it's not that we don't ever hit a slump or make mistakes or even become confused in some part of life or <clears throat> become disappointed. And God knows our frame. He knows we are weak. But the thing is, he wants us to stay in the battle. He wants us to fight through confusion or disappointment or mistreatment or whatever it is. And so, so many times when something bad happens, we think, well, God, why didn't you get me out of this? And he's saying, I wanted you to work through it. If we run into difficulty or some kind of a slump and we, our faith begins to teeter, then we should seek help. We should go to someone who can help us stand in there and fight through the difficulty because others who aren't in the difficulty are strong at that time and they can help us through it. But we can't just hide away and get mad at God. And so many people do. You hear these people that have been leading churches and leading music groups. <clears throat> and they're walking away from God because something didn't turn out the way they thought it should. And the epistles are filled with exhortations to hang in there. It's called perseverance. Perseverance is a theme in the Bible that is all the way through the scriptures. And we're here to help others persevere. And they're here to help us persevere. <clears throat> and when we, we suffer weakness and hurt and loss, it doesn't mean God has left us. It means we're going through life. And we're on our way to the kingdom. And on the way to the kingdom, we enrich our faith. And we take those times where we persevere. When you come out on the other side with perseverance, you're a stronger Christian. And you're closer to God. And we just look at the Apostle Paul and all that he did. Stoned, whipped, in jail. And he just got stronger and stronger because he understood that. He understood that we go through things in our Christian life. But he keeps enriching his faith. And Paul says in these verses that this whole church program that we are involved in this whole program of entering into faith in Christ through grace, by grace, through faith, into Christ, through which we become children of God, through which we gain eternal life. I think I lost something here. Is it coming through? This faith in which we enter through, through faith in Christ, through which we become true children of God, through which we gain eternal life, where we're going to live on the new earth forever and ever, but also through which we face trials and sufferings, and also through which we learn to die to self and carry our cross. All of this is God's plan before time began. He had it all planned before even time began. And we are living in an age where it has all come to light. 
before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light. That's the message of the cross. And so we're a lot further along than any other people of God. We're in the age where it has all come to light, the age of the church. So what do you say to someone who asks you what church is all about? Well, I don't suggest you tell them everything we said this morning. Probably won't get very far. But we know that the church was God's plan before time began. And he had it all worked out. And he's inviting us to take part in it. And we know that God brought it into existence at his perfect timing. And you look at the Bible and how much happened before the church came. But it was all part of building up to it. And then Christ coming and dying for our sins. And we know now that we are part of the body of Christ on earth. And the way to salvation in this age. We are the light of the world. And we know that no matter what the world thinks of the church, no matter how much people cut it down or reject it or turn away or criticize it, we know what God thinks of the church. And we know that it is the creation of God. The church is the creation of God by which people come and are forgiven and come into the light and come to possess Jesus Christ. It's the way we gain eternal life. And when we come in, we're to keep moving forward. We're to keep enhancing our faith. We're to keep driving through even when things get hard. And we will enjoy God and his people, his elect, through all eternity because of the church. What better age to live in spiritually than to live in the age of the church. So why in the world would you give up sleeping until 10 or 11 o'clock on a morning you weren't forced to? That's the biggest question some people have. Well, it's all a part of being a member of God's plan of glory that existed before time began. We're a part of an eternal plan and we're going to be a part of eternal glory. A glory indescribable. And the best is yet to come. So here's Paul's, the end of his greeting, verse 4. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the age that we do live in, and we thank you for your wonderful gifts. And we thank you for your word that tells us and keeps us safe if we just cling to it and live into it. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to move further into our faith. I thank you for the church. I thank you for this church and the, the church of Jesus Christ throughout the world. And I thank you that 
It is the pathway into eternal life for us. And I thank you that there are so many good Christian people to fellowship with and to become friends with and to be encouraged by. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to do that for each other and for others, even those outside the faith. And may many come to know you because of our testimonies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.